Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We have another opportunity this morning to see just how special a God it is that we serve as we review the events of Pentecost. It's on Pentecost that God promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And in Peter's words, we see the fulfillment of that promise. And in the activity that happened on that day, the fulfillment of that promise. But that same Holy Spirit still is at work in our hearts and lives today, a gift from our Heavenly Father. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and for some of you, this is much easier than others, depending on how many years it is that you've lived this, in this world. But I want to ask you to remember, recall one birthday gift that sticks in your memory. Maybe it was your favorite gift. Maybe it was one that wasn't your favorite. But I want you just to think about that for a couple moments, and then will you just talk to somebody that's close to you and, and share with them the, the most memorable birthday gift that you ever received? Go ahead. I'll give you about, oh, 30, 45 seconds to do that. Okay, I would just like to take a couple of volunteers who will tell me what their most memorable birthday gift was. Ezra, did I see your hand? Would you share your most memorable birthday gift? Nice. The book that he has right there. Excellent. Okay, anybody else want to share favorite birthday gift? You know I'm going to tell you mine, so you might as well tell me yours. Greg, go ahead. Nice. A five, when you were five years old, a watch from your grandfather. Yep. Nice. <laughs> I still don't. That's why I have a digital one, right? Because I don't have to bother. Yeah. All right. One more. Anybody else want to share something? Okay. Now everybody's going to get shy. Natasha, please. A desk? All right. Something you really needed. Somebody was thinking ahead. Yeah. I've been very blessed. I could probably come up with a whole bunch. People have been very kind to me in my life. But the one that always sticks out to me is I have a brother who's one year and one week older than I am. So we often got the same gifts each time as birthdays rolled around. And the one that we were waiting for and waiting for were our first big wheels. Do you guys remember big wheels? Like the little pedals with the plastic wheels that you drove all over the place. If you pulled on the brake, you could make the whole back end swing around. Man, I got so much use out of that big wheel. It was awesome. Birthdays are exciting, aren't they? Especially when you're younger, birthdays are exciting. You look ahead to the celebration, the birthday cake, the song, blowing out the candles, and of course... You know, what are the gifts that people have brought for me? And here's what's interesting. Birthdays and the giving of gifts at birthdays is very, very ancient. It's been happening for a long time. But have you ever stopped to consider why it is we do it? I mean, what is the person 
who's getting the gifts actually done. They were born on a certain day that they didn't pick, that they didn't get to dictate when that was going to happen, and so we bring gifts to people who have really done nothing to merit them, right? Isn't that the exact picture that we see at Pentecost? There are gifts being poured out on this birthday of the Christian church, this gifts that are being poured out by our Heavenly Father to people who have done nothing to merit them. That's the beauty of what we hear in Acts chapter 2. We get to see what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. That's what we want to focus on today. The gift of the Holy Spirit that God pours out. And as Peter speaks about it in the verses we're going to look at, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41, he tells us exactly why that gift is so special. He tells us it's special, first of all, because it's the gift that offers and gives the forgiveness of sins. And then secondly, it's a gift that changes people's hearts. Before we take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41, just a brief review of the day of Pentecost. We read it just a little bit ago, but weren't there some amazing things that happened that day? First, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. And then what appeared to be tongues of fire that came to rest on each of the disciples. But then even more amazing, they were speaking in languages they had never studied. They had never learned. And all of the people who were gathered there for the Old Testament festival called Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, they were hearing the message in their own native language. What a blessing. And as the people thought about what's going on here, Peter lets them know in no uncertain terms, this is exactly what Jesus had promised. A special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They've been waiting 10 days. Remember last week as we covered the ascension of Jesus, we said that was 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. 10 days later, the events of Pentecost happened. 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter tells his listeners, exactly what's going on at Pentecost. He quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel. And he says, in the last days, God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. And as Peter preaches his sermon based on those words from the prophet Joel, the people become convicted. They recognize the truth of Peter's words that you handed Jesus over to be crucified. You killed Jesus But God raised him from the dead, and and we, Peter says, are witnesses of that fact. Peter's words had the desired effect on the Pentecost crowd. We're told in the verse right before our text coming up, verse 38, so this is verse 37, that the people were cut to the heart. They felt it. They knew it. They knew that they had done exactly what they shouldn't have done. They knew they fell far short of the glory of God and it led them to ask a question. And it's really the all-important question, isn't it? A question we would be wise to ask still today. What must we do? What do we have to do to be saved? They're asking the disciples. What is it that will make us right with God since we have sinned against him? It's really natural, isn't it, for the first inclination to be, how can I change this? What can I do? What do I have to do to make sure that this is better? It's all about my own effort to do something that will make me right before God. 
But there's a second solution. And that solution is found outside of ourselves. That somebody acted in our behalf. See, the people were convicted by their sin. They felt the guilt of that sin and they knew they needed something to change, that it was time for a restart, time for a change. And so do we. Have you ever seen that on your computer? I call it the blue screen of panic. Because if that ever pops up on your computer, there's instant worry, right? Did what I was working on get saved or do I have to start all over? Or when I reboot or restart my computer, uh, is all of that going to come back or have I caused some irreparable damage to my computer, right? Am I the only one? That kind of technology, we live in a world where rebooting is something that we get to do all the time. I have to do it with my, my Wi-Fi at home. I have to do it with the cable box every once in a while. There are things that can reboot. But here's the nice thing. Generally speaking, a reboot does the trick. It's like a fresh start. All of a sudden, everything seems to be working again. And maybe sometimes we think that's how it is spiritually, too. If we just press the right buttons, if we just do the right things, we can get a reset and then we'll be right before God. But that doesn't erase our sin, does it? It doesn't make us right before God because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in that same letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul said this, the wages of our sin is death. We find ourselves in the exact same place that the people were as Peter preached his Pentecost sermon. Convicted, cut to the heart, wondering what's next, understanding that we don't have much to offer to restart or reboot our lives. We need someone else to act. Peter answers that question. What must we do? In beautiful words, in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41, listen to verses 38 and 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Just let Peter's answer soak in. Beautiful words that Peter says. This all happens, Peter says, outside of you. He begins with the word repent. And that word in the original language has the idea of making a change, of understanding that a change needs to happen, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change that says, yes, I know that I fall far short. I know that I need someone else to take my place and I believe and trust that Jesus is the one who does that. We read earlier how that all comes about. That's not something we can make happen on our own. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But that idea of, of repenting, of knowing that, that we fall far short and, and looking to someone else for forgiveness, that's what Peter wants us to do. Do you remember what he convicted the people listening to him, what sin he convicted them of? He told them they killed Jesus. He convicted them of murder. No, they hadn't driven the nails into Jesus' hands and feet themselves. But how many of them perhaps were there in Jerusalem 50 days before this shouting, crucify him, crucify him. 
And even more, the sins that they had committed, the sins that made them fall far short of God's glory, those are the sins that Jesus went to the cross to pay for. And here we sit, 2,000 years later, and that word repent comes to us too. And we might have to ask ourselves, well, why? Why is repentance so necessary? Well, recognizing that we need a Savior is important. Because the Savior means nothing unless I realize that I can't do it without him. And maybe we can think to ourselves, well, yes, but we, we didn't murder. We're not the murderers that the people were that Peter was talking to. And then maybe you remember this verse from 1 John chapter 2. Whoever hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Boy, those are hard words to hear, aren't they? That my actions, my anger, my hatred for others makes me just as guilty as anyone else. Makes me need a savior more than anything else. And I think about the world in which we live and the anger that fills so many people's hearts and the anger then that spills over into our hearts and lives in answer to what we see at others who are angry with us or with the Christian church and how much we need Jesus and how beautiful Peter's words are. For the forgiveness of your sins. That's what the Holy Spirit gives. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the faith to believe that Jesus is the one who took our place, that Jesus is the one and the only one who can offer us peace with God, a clean slate, the reboot that we need. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who connects us to Jesus. For many of us, that was through our baptism. Jesus connected us to the Holy Spirit as he gave us faith at that baptism. Isn't that a beautiful thing to be able to do every single day? To wake up and remind ourselves that we're baptized children of God, redeemed, bought with the blood of Christ. That's who you are in Jesus. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit as he connects us to him, not just for now, but for eternity. And maybe you're wondering today, well, how can I be so sure that that, that promise is for me? When I think about my sins, I, I, there's no way that God would ever want to forgive me. And listen to Peter's words. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Everyone is included in that promise. You, me, the world is whom Jesus made a payment for sin. What an amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. There was another preacher who preached a message of repentance about 800 years before Peter's Pentecost sermon. A man by the name of Jonah, remember him, was called by God to go to a city of Nineveh. You might remember maybe the most memorable part of that story is Jonah didn't want to go. He tried to flee in the other direction and God had to swallow him and put him in the belly of a big fish for a few days. And even when Jonah went the second time he was called, he was still a little bit reluctant. According to the Bible, this is what Jonah said as he walked around the wicked city of Nineveh of the Assyrians. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Not much of a message. But do you remember what happened? The entire city repented. 
They put on sackcloth and ashes, mourned, hoping, praying that God wouldn't bring the destruction upon them that he had threatened. Isn't that amazing? A city that would have been considered and was considered by God to be wicked, needed to hear just this message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, and the power of God's word changed their hearts. That's the power that's at work here at Pentecost, as we see it in Acts chapter 2. And it's the same power that's at work in your life and mine. Listen to verses 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In the original Greek language, that, that verb form for save yourselves is an actual, it's in a passive voice. So without getting into great language details, the better translation would be to be saved. And again, what Peter is saying is this is not something that we can do on our own. It's looking to someone else. It's directing our eyes to Jesus away from whatever we could contribute, knowing that it's not enough, but knowing that what Jesus has done is everything that we need. And then, did you catch it? Peter has some interesting words. From this corrupt generation. 2,000 years ago, that's what Peter considered the generation in which he lived. I'm not sure how you feel, but the older I get, the more that word makes sense to me in my own generation and the generation below me. I feel like I'm becoming my grandparents and my parents who kept saying to me, the world's just going to get worse. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Anybody else have that experience, right? And I think sometimes we fear. We fear that things are getting so bad that God can't do anything about it. Don't you love to go back to the story of Jonah in Nineveh? The story of Peter at Pentecost and see the power of God at work? To see how the Holy Spirit can change hearts and lives? God has been using that power of the, His Holy Spirit forever, for millennia. The last 2,000 years of the New Testament church, the Holy Spirit has been poured out again and again and again. And that day, 3,000 were added to their number as they heard Peter proclaim the gospel of Jesus. That's a huge number. But it pales in comparison to the countless souls that the Holy Spirit has touched with the heart of the gospel and the heart of the Savior Jesus. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift that we celebrate today. The gift of being connected to Jesus, of the Holy Spirit taking a rebellious, stony, hate-filled heart and softening it with the love of Jesus and planting in it the gift of faith that secures for us something beyond life in this world, a life with him forever in heaven. That's the salvation that the Holy Spirit brings. That's the promise that Peter's talking about. You and I have eternal life because Jesus took our place, because he went to a cross, because he rose from the dead. And now he leaves for us his Holy Spirit to convince us of that truth and guide us home to him in heaven. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, the gift of Pentecost leads us to repent of our sins. It's really what God wants. It's why the world continues because God wants everyone to come to repentance. Through Peter, he said this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Number two, the gift of Pentecost reminds us that Jesus took our place to forgive us. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Finally, number three, the gift of Pentecost changes our hearts to embrace Jesus as our Savior. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God wrote this, I will give them a new heart, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, and I will turn their hearts, their whole hearts, back to me. That's what the Holy Spirit does, the gift of that Holy Spirit. I know not everyone shared their favorite gift this morning, and maybe some of you, as you thought about those gifts, thought about the ones that you could use over and over again, like a big wheel, you know, something that gave you joy again and again and again, the gift that keeps on giving, we call those kind of gifts, right? And as we think about the gifts at Pentecost, the birthday of the Christian church, it's the best gift ever, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who gives us faith to connect us to Jesus who lets us embrace our Savior Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, who changes our hearts to understand that we are not objects of God's wrath, but instead we have an eternal life with him forever in heaven. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Faith to embrace our Savior and eternal salvation with him forever in heaven. That's truly the gift that keeps on giving. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.